0: Our topic this morning is doubt, doubting. Now, I know none of you probably ever doubted, but I have. I have. Actually, I wanted to start with a story that is uh, an example of what we're talking about this morning. <coughs> we were sitting in our living room at home. It was a, a Sunday evening, and our church youth group, the Luther League, had gathered for their bi-monthly meeting, and the pastor got to the point in, in the, the time where it was question time, and he asked if there were any questions. And one young man held up his hand and said, how do I know when I believe enough? I thought that was a good question. I'm not completely sure uh, whether that question was coming genuinely from them. Maybe he was playing so let's stomp the pastor. Was he actually doubting whether his faith was genuine? Maybe this question was, was, what he was thinking inside was, how do I know when I believe enough and can still hang on to the favorite sins in my life? It's been 40-some years since then, and I'm just a little bit vague on how the pastor answered the question but the question stuck in my mind and I think the pastor's answer went something like that trusting God is a lot like having a chair and this chair is there and you believe that it will hold you but you don't know until you put every ounce of your weight on that chair and then you know that that chair is solid Many Christians experienced doubt, probably most. Every person in every situation we read about in Scripture had the possibility of doubt. Living by faith means that we trust God, even though there is much mystery. We do not know or completely understand things like, okay, God is an eternal, self-existent being. What does that mean? Eternal, self-existent. How about the idea of the vast distances in the universe? You get in your car and you start driving towards Alpha Centauri. How long would it take you to get there? (coughs) Or uh, this is my favorite one. Watch this, okay? That sounds solid, doesn't it? There's something that you knock on the table, it it feels solid. And you know what they tell us? That actually, that's really mostly empty space between subatomic particles. And the empty space between these subatomic particles is so vast. That these subatomic particles are almost irrelevant. And you know what? They don't even know if there's anything there, there, in those subatomic particles. Now, how do you go about understanding that? You know, this is this is material, ripe material for 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 feeding doubts, you know, and faith. Ask me if I understand it all. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever, to observe all the words in this law. There are things that we will not fully know or understand in this life. Okay, so what does the world say about found a couple of of, uh, quotes I thought were really interesting. One was from Rene Descartes, for you intellectuals out there, okay? Ooh, okay. Rene Descartes said, If you would be a real seeker after truth, it is necessary that at least once in your life you doubt as possible all things. He was probably sipping tea when he was saying this. The founder of Buddhism said, doubt everything, find your own truth. You know, the crazy thing is, if, if we take their advice, we would have to doubt what they said, which seems kind of counter- contradictory to me. <clears throat> what does God say about doubt? James 1 says, for the doubter, the one who doubts, is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter being double-minded and unstable in every way must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Hebrews 10, but my righteous one will live by faith. My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back. There's another verse that says, uh, without faith it is impossible to please god did you know that without faith it is Im- impossible to please god second corinthians chapter 5 says for we walk by faith not by sight doubt varies from very mild to severe on a variety of matters I was at home on a Sunday evening, and I got a phone call from a friend named Kevin. Kevin had recently become a Christian, and he'd become a part of of a friend group that I was a bunch of friends, and we were all Christians. and, And Kevin, through the influence of our group of friends, had become a believer, and he was a new believer. And the tone of his voice over the phone was not just scared, It sounded like he was standing on the precipice of eternity and looking over the edge, and he could see hell from there. And he was scared to his bottom, Adam. He'd been reading in his Bible in Matthew 7. Can we bring that up on on the screen, Matthew 7? It's about the fourth scripture verse. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you who believe lawlessly, who behave lawlessly. And Kevin said, if if people who do such incredible works, such as casting out demons and mighty things like this, cannot be saved, what hope is there for me? And he was failing to see that these, that these people were justifying themselves before God. Look at this, what I've done. Look what I bring. Look at these good things that I have done. I, uh, there's a story, one of my favorite stories, and I apologize to those people have already heard it again. That's okay. I like it every time I hear it. There was a pastor preaching, getting ready to do the children's sermon, and he asked all the kids to come up front. And so the kids gather on the step up here, and the pastor says, okay, now, this kid's sermon. What animal is is it out there that has a bushy tail and puffy cheeks and likes to gather acorns and stuff like that? And he stops, and the kids, there's this pause. You know, you don't know if anybody's going to answer or not. And finally, one little boy puts up his hand. And the pastor says, Yes, Johnny. And the little boy says, Well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I suppose it's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the point of that is really poignant. You cannot justify yourself before God, say, Our help is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. And if we are pointing to the good things that we have done in this, to what we think were good things, I have not been immune to doubt. I was in my 20s. I was reading a Chicago Truman on a Sunday afternoon. That was when we actually got a newspaper. <laughs> Who gets a newspaper anymore? And I was reading this. There was, an ar- in the, there was a, thr- a several-page spread in, in the middle of the paper, and it was written by a Reverend Sun Mayan Moon. And by the time I got done reading that article, I didn't know what to believe anymore. He had just effectively made me question everything I'd believed about my faith since I was young. And I had this awful, sick feeling in my stomach. Why I didn't call my pastor or immediately sit down, combing through the word to address the things he was saying, I don't know. I only remember what it felt like to experience real doubt. It hurt. Okay, <coughs> how can we respond then to doubt? Let's talk about a number of things. And these are not exhaustive. First, doubt is different than unbelief. Doubt is the questioning of faith. You can't doubt something that you don't already believe. You can only doubt what you already believe unbelief is a unbelief is a determined refusal to believe okay so now number one first thing we do with our doubts talk to your pastor or a mature christian that you that you trust Responding to doubt is an area that pastors excel in. They often counsel those experiencing doubt. Pastors are not immune to doubt themselves. And know what it is like to struggle with doubt. Talk to your pastor. Two, doubt your doubts. Why would you give your doubt a courtesy you don't give your faith? Be as critical of your doubt as you are of your faith. Doubts usually don't offer a better solution. The Christian faith has survived the doubts of many generations of believers. Three, dealing with sin. Sin will always stand between you and God. Isaiah 59, 2, rather your iniquities have been barriers, between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. When we harbor sin in our lives, it is a hindrance to vibrant faith. Ask God to help you to defeat sin in your life. Four, make the main thing the main thing. Paul reminds us in, first, in, in Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the things that are of first importance is atoning death for our sins his resurrection, and it was witnessed by hundreds of people, facts of history, okay? These are core beliefs that all Christians of all history can agree on. There are numerous secondary issues, such as how and when God created the world, or when he's coming back. And there will probably continue to be legitimate disagreement on some of these things. But the core of Christian unity has always been the fundamentals of faith. Okay, next. Do your homework. Okay, that means finding Christian materials that are helpful. And there's so much out there. If you are interested in a really good book on doubt. It is, there's one called Dealing with Doubt. It is written by Gary Habermas. He is a respected, solid guy. There is great Christian apologetic material out there that can help you in your battle with many doubts. And when you actively go out and d- determine to find the answer to your question, when you solve that finally for yourself, you're not, all, not only comfortable within yourself, you have something to share with somebody else who's doubting. 4 scripture we go to god's word to fight doubt uh, genesis chapter 3 <clears throat> the first doubt okay now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the lord god had made he said to the woman did god actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden and the woman said to the serpent Jesus tells a parable about the the seed, you know, the seed falls to different places. And the first seed he talks about is the seed that falls on the hard ground and the evil one comes and picks it up and takes it away. Who is the instigator of doubt? Eve is presented with doubt by the serpent. You know, it's interesting to me. Why didn't she say, ah, that's an interesting idea that you're thinking. Let me just talk to God for a minute, and I'll get back to you on that. And I bet you if she came back, I bet you the serpent would be nowhere to be found. God is all about truth. His word is given in love to help us through this life. And six, remember who God is. When we have doubts, remember who God is. Some of the verses that have been powerful and helpful for me in life. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Refuge. What is a refuge? Refuge is where you go for solace, for protection, healing, recovery, peace. God is a refuge and strength. Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you, O God? There is nothing on earth I desire more than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Has your flesh and your strength ever failed? Those moments, anxious moments, where an anx- anxiousness and fear seem to go hand in hand. It is immobilizing. And to reach out and say, God, my flesh and my heart are failing. But you are the strength of my heart. You are the strength of my heart and portion forever. And then the next part is the most important part. And that is to then we, we take action. We actually go out and allow God to express his strength through us as we move. I found a story here some time ago, and I thought it was helpful. It's a little long, but I wanted to share it for you. It was written by a policeman who was talking about a day in his life. Okay, bear with me. It has a point. (coughs) I got into a fist fight last week. Well, I suppose you could call it a fist fight. I got hit about 10 to 12 times without landing a single punch myself. It's been a while since I've been in a fight. As a police officer, I probably get into more fights than the average middle-aged man, but at 46, my reflexes are not what they used to be, so I got a little beat up. It all started when I attempted to make a man do something I thought he should do. I grabbed his shirt sleeve and directed him in the direction I wanted him to go. I'm usually pretty good at directing people. Apparently, he was not having the best day, and this was not the direction he wanted to go. So he responded by taking a swing at me. I managed to duck the first blow and easily redirect his momentum, moving him through the, the open door of my pickup truck where he landed square on his back in the front seat. With his back to the seat, he reached for anything he could throw in my direction to keep me away from him, which happened to be a set of car keys, a water bottle, and an ESV Bible. The keys missed my head by a couple of inches and I managed to dodge the water bottle but the Bible hit me right in the chest resulting in an out of, t- out of context yet unforgettable illustration of Hebrews 4.12. You remember that one? That's the one that says sharper than any two-edged sword. As he searched the cab of my truck for something else to launch at me, I took advantage of the distraction and rushed through the doorway. He caught me with an upkick to my midsection, but I managed to grab both his legs and pin them to the dash. My tunnel vision focused on his legs left his hands unsecure, and I was met with five or six quick strikes to the back of my head with his fist, followed by several scratches to my scalp and face from his fingernails. Believe it or not, my mind instinctively went back to a basic rule from my initial police training. Watch the hands. Hands kill. If you control the hands, you control the fight. I abandoned his legs and latched onto his wrists, putting his fists into his chest while simultaneously wrapping my leg around his ankles to control his feet. His explosive strength and speed humbled my aging muscles and slower reflexes, but at least I was now in control of the situation, or so I thought. About the time I was catching my breath and making a new game plan, I felt a sharp vice-like lock on my forearm and looked up to see the man clenching his teeth down on my jacket sleeve. My jacket was thick enough to keep the bite from penetrating skin, but the initial shock of the pain made me instinctively react. Still holding his wrists, I broke away from the bite and lodged my elbow and forearm under his chin, forcing his head back, his mouth closed, and averting any possible head-butting or biting retaliation. The only offense he had left was to spit in my direction, which he did several times between primal screams of violent anger. I took the spit. It was better than the alternative. Turning my face to avoid most of the projectile spray, I just happened to glance to the back seat of the truck where I saw my wife, daughter, and teenage son. The look on their faces made me realize how serious this incident had become. I needed to end this fight. With one last burst of adrenaline-fueled energy, I lifted the man to his feet and out of the seat. Still holding his his wrists, I swept his legs with my left foot and took him to the ground in the soft snow besides the door of the truck. The powder absorbed most of the impact, allowing me to move to a superior position. As I pinned his arms to the ground with my hands, I knew by the look on his face the fight was almost over. He continued to struggle and spit, but but he was quickly running out of gas. I held him there in the snow till the ice absorbed his energy and cooled his rage. Are you finished? I muttered nearly out of breath. I'm not letting you go. He struggled one last time and then nodded his head in surrender. I slowly but cautiously helped him to his feet and dusted the snow from his back. The fight was over. I loaded him into the truck and continued on to our destination. The man I was fighting is not some deranged criminal, he is my son. <sighs> Autistic and nonverbal, he is a two year old in a 20 year old body. Like most two year olds, he throws fits from time to time. Unlike most two year olds, he can do a lot of damage. He can hurt my wife and seriously hurt my daughter and he can almost whip me almost it all began as we were headed out of the door going to super bowl party he wanted to take his ipad i said no and he transformed into the incredible hulk sitting in the truck with a protective armor on my son i began to think how god could possibly be in this i thought of big words like sanctification and sovereignty, even imago Dei, and fearfully and wonderfully made. These are bold and profound words I admittedly preach louder when the times are less painful. Then as the adrenaline sapped all of my remaining strength, the glaring image through my head of another man struggling to get away. This other man cursed his family and his Lord. He fought against love, and kicked against the goads. He spit in the face of the one who loved him most. But despite the rebellion and violence, even through the worst of sin and insurrection, his father would not let him go, holding him tightly till all the defiant energy was spent. I am that man. I will not let you go. I remember those words of tough love and bloody redemption very well spoken by the father of my salvation and echoed by the wife of my youth. I am eternally grateful for their tenacious gospel grip. Jake finally settled down and apologized with tears, hugs, and kisses. I wonder how he can vacillate so quickly between innocent bliss and animalistic violence. I wonder how much longer my strength will hold out. But no matter how he acts, he will always be my son. I will fight his rebellion with all my strength and all my love. And I will never let go. Because I was never let go. Do you suppose this father ever had doubts? I wonder what kind of doubts he would have had, you know? His strength has become remembering who God is and remembering God's promises to him, his Redeemer who will not let him go. Do you have doubts? Remember who God is. One of my favorite verses, Deuteronomy 31.6, and I believe that one we can put on the screen. Be strong and bold, Have no fear or dread of them, because it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. The context of this verse is that God has been leading his chosen people, the people he calls his own, through the wilderness, through 40 years, through the difficulties of hunger and heat and snakes and difficulties and doubting, problems left and right. time and again, dealing with their rebellion, the rebellion of people he calls his own who supposedly are following him until he can get them into the promised land. And he says to them, his people, put your trust in me. I will never fail you or forsake you. I will never let you go. Take your doubts to the Lord. Take them to Jesus, like a man in Mark 7 who said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And Jesus didn't turn him away. Jesus said to his disciples, those who followed him, if you even have faith like a little mustard seed, you'll move mountains. Come to me in faith. Psalm 91. One of my favorite books in the Bible. And this these verses are incredible because it is God speaking to you, to me directly. What does he say? He says, Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you. I will honor you. I will satisfy you with long life and show you my salvation. These are God's words directly to you and me. Oh, God. Is there anything more powerful than God's word to you and me? even amidst doubt. You and I may have doubts as we go along this path, but so much of this life is learning to trust God and not be afraid. God's promises to you and I are sure. Come to me by faith. I won't let you go. Let's close with a benediction. Comes for its last few verses of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, and to make you to stand without blemish, in the presence of his glory with rejoicing, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.